Welcome to John Longwell Media. Creative multimedia including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's message is entitled, Salvation Checklist, recorded on July 10th, 2022, at Revived Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as a teaching pastor. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. Good morning. Let's go ahead and open just in a word of prayer. Father God, we are excited to get into your word today. We know that your word is a living word, that your spirit has an agenda, and that's a good thing because that agenda is for us. And so, Father God, as your word goes forth today, may it find fertile soil within our spiritual hearts and, and minds that we could then take those things and apply them to our lives. And um, just may I decrease and may you just speak through me today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, um, Pastor Sean gave us a pretty cool part one of a message last week on salvation. He's going to be picking up on that message. And this will be a bridge message on salvation, which I was very blessed by as I was preparing this week. Um, It's entitled The Salvation Checklist. And before you tune out and go, okay, great, another Salvation 101 message, this will actually have some applications For us as believers, um, Sean has been talking about in the book of Hebrews that as those Christians were there, they were only at that place where they could obtain the milk of the word. And they were never able to grow to the place of um, getting to the real meat of the word. Well, i got to tell you, I had to get out the the steak knife for this message when I was preparing because it was very meaty. So the basic question that we we'll all be asking ourselves when we're standing in line at the great throne of judgment is, how do I know if I'm saved? Well, that's really not the time to answer that. You don't want to come up with some lie and say, okay, God, you know, you don't want to do that. You want to be able to have an authentic answer that you can give to God. But I want you to be able to walk away this morning by answering these three questions on this checklist to really know if you are saved. And it comes out of Romans 10:19, which declares, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this is a very basic cornerstone scripture for um, Christians, and also as you're trying to lead other people to the Lord, this is a great verse to refer to, because it answers these questions. The first one is, have you heard the Bible message about Jesus? And that message comes across in many different forms, and it's basically just the life of Jesus the fact that he lived a sinless life, that he, that he died for us, for our sins. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And the work that he did was on our behalf, something that we could never do. And then the second question is, do you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and was resurrected in victory? Do you believe personally that this work was something that is relevant to your life? Amen. So the first question is, have you even heard? The second question, do you believe what it is that you've heard? 
And the third question is this, have you verbally spoken the words asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? And that may take place in a variety of ways. I think I've shared in the past that when my dad was in his 50s, he got pulled over for a DUI. And the only way the judge would let him drive for his work is if he went to rehab. And so he went to rehab. He was the, the next oldest person to him was an 18-year-old kid. And so that was a little bit embarrassing for him, but he went through the program diligently so that he could retain his license. Well, in their, um, in any kind of a 12-step program, they usually say, you should select a higher power to help you on your journey. And if you knew my dad, you would know that this sinner's prayer was the most authentic one that he could have prayed. He basically said, well, God, I have effed it up up until this point. Why don't you take a crack at it? <laughs> so... That was authentic for my dad. Maybe your salvation conversion prayer is a little bit different, but we want it to be authentic and personal and real to you. Okay, so that's the salvation process. We could just end the sermon now. We could all go home, go to Denny's or whatever, but there's more. So if you're not saved, that's a good three-item checklist. If you are saved and you are trying to lead someone to the Lord, that's also a great three-item checklist. What are the ingredients to help someone obtain salvation. Have they heard? Do they believe? Have they prayed? As it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so now that we've had that conversion process, there should be ongoing signs of salvation within each and every one of our lives. And a saved life should include good works for all to see. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, this is our connection to Hebrews, says, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And the theologian Matthew Henry says, The works of love done to his saints for Christ's sake are evident marks of a man's salvation. So these good works that we do demonstrate the, the salvation experience that should be real in all of us. However, this is a huge topic when it comes to Christian theology, when it comes to works, when it, when it comes to acts. And so we're going to look at a tiny bit of uh, scripture in James. And if you read chapter, um, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, you'll get the full version. But for time's sake today, we're going to kind of um, we're going to narrow it down to just some very key verses. So in verse 14, he asked the question, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, which means that they, they have been saved, um, but does not have works? Can faith save him? So he's basically saying, does this idea of simply believing in God save you in and of itself? And then he says, was not Abraham, and this is jumping to verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now that is one little snippet of scripture, but the bigger story is that in the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah, they waited years and years and years, didn't think they would ever have a child, and in their 90s, God finally blessed them with their son Isaac. Well, now God is saying, I want you to take your son up to a mountain, I want you to murder him. The Bible captures all kinds of crazy stories, and so in obedience, Abraham took his son up there, believing that God would provide something for him so that he would not have to go through this. But out of obedience, he did this. He was getting ready to cut his son's throat, and then God said, stop. 
he, he provided a ram and the bushes. They were able to sacrifice that. And then it goes on to say um, that you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. So basically, obedience demonstrates a sinner's change of our course from death to life. It, it is basically, um, faith is the root, and our good works are the fruit that comes forth from that root. They should be combined together. What happens is that sometimes we try to take obedience apart from faith. And when we do this, our faith is dead. And I'll give you an example of this. It's basically, we know, we know a lot of people that are not in the church, that have no affiliation with the church, and they do very, very good things. They're very admirable things. They're things that inspire us. But those in and of themselves are just good works. If they do not have a marriage to the faith of those three items that we just talked about, then they're simply dead works, and at the very end, they're going to be burned up with everything else. They don't have the ability to save us simply by doing a lot of good things. Some of us... And some Christians even will rely upon the old adage, well, God knows my heart. They say, I've never robbed or killed anyone. Basically, deep down, God knows I'm a good person. Overall, my good outweighs my bad. Now, if this were true, we would have no need for Christ, and we could probably just use an app. Because you would know that by now, if that were actually true, the Roman church would probably have put out an app that says good works, bad works, and it would have a running tally for your entire life. You could get up every morning, check your app, and go, okay, 998 million good things, 997 million bad things. Oh, man, I'm still ahead. So, you know, and, and if you're on your deathbed, you would just, man, you would have that app right there just making sure that you didn't say some bad words, that you were saying thank you to your nurse to make sure that you kept those columns in line. If it were really that simple, if it were really up to the things that we, we could do, then we would not need Christ. But that is not the truth of the, of the reality. The truth is, is that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according, but according to his own mercy, we were washed by the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Now, I want to also bring some clarification about judgment and works in the Bible, because this can be very confusing. And as we get into these couple of verses, you'll see exactly what I mean. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne. But basically what he is saying by this is he's making this statement to make it capture every single person that could have ever lived or died upon the earth. He's talking about the dead, those that have already gone before us and, and passed away. He's talking about the great, those in great stature on, on in the world, and also the very small. So he's saying every single person is going to be standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. And this is the, this is the last little sentence that can be a little hard to understand unless you have the full context. And it says, um, they were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Well, if you were to just take that at face value, you're going to go, wow, it really does matter the things that I do. Well, yes, in part, but not to the point that you're 
things that you do are going to save you. We just talked about that. If that were true, then we would never need saving faith. We would never need Jesus Christ. And it would truly be all about the good things that we do. And in, um, you see, what he is basically saying here is that there is a book of life. And the righteous whose names are found in this book of life, they have salvation. They will also be judged according to their deeds, but this judgment is simply to assign the heavenly rewards based upon how they live their lives. The deeds that they do on this earth are only to basically position us with the rewards that we will have in heaven. And that's a whole kind of an abstract thought that we won't even get into. But that is the only thing that the deeds of the Christians will account for. It is, has nothing to do with how we are saved. We are saved according to the merits of Christ. All of his good things go on our account. And every debt that we ever had in our ledger is wiped away because of the blood of Jesus. God only looks at us and he says, your name is here. However, on the flip side... Um, And Romans 2, verse 6, this is another kind of a reciprocal verse. It says, he will render to each one according to his works. And if you were to read that verse out of context, what would you think? You would think that, oh, okay, it really does matter only the things that I do. Has nothing to do with my heart, has nothing to do with the relationship with God. It only has to do with what I do. But once again, in context, as we look at this, the wicked whose names are not in the book of life, are cast into the lake of fire where their degree of eternal punishment will be according to their deeds. And that's a heavy word, isn't it? Because not only do they not have the benefit of having their names in the book of life, so now they have a second death, which is eternal separation from God. And along with it, every deed that they, that they did while alive, that is going to now factor into the degree of punishment that they will have for all of eternity. And if you, if you conceive of that, it is a very sobering thing. It is a very... And, and when you think about that, I think about the people that I know that do not know the Lord. And that is not an eternity that I have in my heart for them. It makes me, as an introvert, want to get out of my shell and speak to them about the truth, the love, the mercy, the opportunity that there is with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and share that. And why should we wait? Because there's so much pain and struggle and distress in this world. Why would we not want to give them a hand up right where they are right now? Amen? Amen. Okay. So, signs of salvation are seen in our overall character. Now, character is just a word that includes our thoughts, the principles and motives that motivate us, and the actions that we do. But character can either be godly or it can be wicked. Ralph Waldo Emerson has this wonderful quote. He says, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So as we're talking about having um, these actions that demonstrate the life of faith, this little quote by um, Wolf, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson is basically saying the ways in which we dictate what kinds of actions that we're going to have and then ultimately the destiny that we're going to be able to fulfill is by the seeds of thought that we sow. And I thought there's no better way to end a message on salvation 
and also a good way for us to confirm the salvation signs within our own lives by knowing that we are people of godly character. And so we're going to look at Philippians 4.8, which is the great thought verse of the Bible, which says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I've got to tell you, I've read over this bit of scripture a lot, but I've never really dug in deep. And if you just read these eight words, they're very one-dimensional. It's very hard to kind of get a real grasp on what they mean. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to kind of unpack each one of these. And this is really where my heart got touched this week as I was, as I was going through the word. And so basically what he is saying is these are kind of the categories of thought that we should be sowing into our hearts, that we should be reflecting upon, that we should be focusing focusing on. And anything that falls outside of these, we should push away. We should make boundaries against them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of describe the essence of each of these words. And in so doing, let that allow that to kind of just wash over your minds and go, okay, yeah, I kind of get a feel with what that's like. So that as your thoughts come in, maybe now you'll have a little bit of a flavor of, are my thoughts within this category or are they outside of this? So as we start with the word true, this means speaking truth, being of sincere character, morally true to the core of our being. Truth is in the likeness of God. So that's a real high, high overview of one of those aspects. And then he says, whatever is honorable. And if you, how, how great would it be to be invited to dinner and then to go into that person's house and, they, and you go and you take a seat and they're like, no, 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 that's not the seat. We've got this seat reserved for you because you're very important to us. You've had a significant impact upon us. And that's kind of what that whole idea of honorable means, that you're a, a respected person of revered character. We get to the word just. And this is basically meaning righteous in word and deed. And that there's a rightness between our fellow man with an uncorrupted integrity. Integrity is that person that we are when no one, is, when no one else is around. When, when it comes to all of us, we all have a little bit of that, I wonder how I'm being perceived from the outside. We're all kind of motivated by that. We're all kind of driven by that because we don't want to be ashamed. We, we want our outward persona to be received and to be respected and to be liked. And so that rightness is sometimes what drives us regardless whether it's the right thing to be driven by or not. But this word just also means that if you, are, if you have an opportunity to take advantage of another person, and maybe they would never know it. You know, and a good one that I think of is sometimes, you know, and this is back in the day before self-checkout at the grocery store, sometimes they would give you too much change. And I remember one time I walked away and I was like, well, yeah, there were so many times when they got the better end of the deal, so I just kind of walked away. I was sitting in my car, I was like, oh man, I need to go back because their cash store is going to be off at the end of the day. And I stood in line again and I gave them their dollar three back. You know, because sometimes it, it amazes me, and, and I'm not good at math, but it always cracks me up when um, I try to give people perfect change, like at the drive-thru, like it's, uh, you know, so that they can give me a quarterback. Oh, man, they, they look at you like you're, they're trying to, to solve the entry um, trajectory for Apollo 13 coming back from the moon. They're like, what am I supposed to give you back? 
<laughs> and so just give me a quarter. Oh, okay. You know, they're, they're relieved. But sometimes it's like that. And so it's up to us in being just to make sure that we are not taking advantage of an, another person, even if we would have the ability to do so. The next one is whatever is pure. And man, we live in a day and age where perversion is just the mainstay. I'm a person that loves to joke, and some of my humor gets a little bit dark from time to time, but I am so amazed at how dark and like way out there some of the perverse humor is. And so when I looked at this one, boy, this one was a real wake-up call to me. So just means, uh, I'm sorry, pure means innocent, friendly, platonic thoughts and acts concerning the opposite sex, regarding them as fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers. How often have we seen, I mean, even in commercials, everything is sexualized. I remember Carl's Jr. had this one cheeseburger commercial and the girls in the bikini, and, and I'm just like, it's food. <laughs> Why do we have to bring this aspect into it? It's like, how is that selling food? And so I just thought that that was a really wonderful way for us to begin to look at what is what does it mean to be pure? It means to be friendly. It means to be innocent, platonic. Can I look at that person as though they were my sister or my brother or my father or my mother? That's such an easy way to gauge that and such a wonderful way for us to, to maintain those kinds of thoughts. Whatever is lovely. Oh, this is a great one. We all do... We all attend to the matters of life. So, for example, many, many times we now have an Alexa, which is great because now we never forget anything at the grocery store. We just say, Alexa, add this to the grocery store, and she adds it. And so, you know, I'm finding myself going to the store a lot. And just that simple task in and of itself is, is a very common matter of life that we attend to. But the way that we attend to it could be very different. We drive, we go in, we pick out our stuff, we wait in line, we pay, we go back, we drive, we come home. Depending on what kind of mood you're in, maybe that whole drive there was filled with road rage and, and people behind you. And I'll have to tell you that this message is, is, is making, it's making a difference. Because I went to McDonald's this morning, and you know they have the double drive up there? So I went and I drove up, and they said, just a moment, please. So I'm waiting. What, what's the, the right amount of time to wait when they say just a moment? 10 seconds, 30 seconds? It was like a minute and a half. And another person drove up on the other side of me, and they got served. I was like, are you kidding me? And so, and so, <laughs> I was, so, so I waited. I gave him my order, and then the guy pulls in front of me, and I was about to say, you a, and I'm like, you person, I, and I was like, and it was just really interesting because I immediately, thought, I'm like, why is this guy this bad word when he had nothing to do with who got served first? But that's it. Automatically, you know, somebody cuts in front of you, they're up. But if you cut in front of somebody, yeah, it's pretty good. I got right in front of them. So, do you see how the wickedness? just gets into our thinking, it permeates our actions, it validates, it justifies the very little behaviors that we don't even give a second thought to. But when now we are controlling the seeds that sow our thoughts, we cut them off before they become an action, before they become a habit, before they become part of our character and eventuate into a destiny. And so... Um, Lovely is the tender manner 
in which you attend to the matters of life with warm-heartedness and grace. Um, The next one is commendable. And this is specifically talking about Christians and how they share their faith with the world. Now, we've got all, in, in every generation, but right now we've got some hotbed topics about guns, about abortion. And we as believers, when the world looks at us, guess what? They don't see you as an individual. They see you under the big label of Christianity. So you're automatically, your, your opinion is automatically assumed before you even get into a conversation with anyone. What is spoken of here is being commendable is basically the one-on-one interaction that you have with people about everyday life, the struggles, the situations, the trials. And when you're able to share the love of God, and when we share truth outside of love, guess what? It's never received as truth. Love makes a way for truth. We can speak the truth of the Word of God, and we should never shrink back from doing so. But we need to do it in such a way that is kind, that is understanding the background and the, the, the context of that other person, because you don't know what you're speaking into. And how many times have you ever been corrected by somebody and they have no idea what kind of a day you've had? I was, and I'll give, a, I'll give an example of that. I, was, I, had, I got laid off in 2008, right before the big crash of the economy, and um, I had gotten a job that ended up being a nightmare job for me. And I had to get away, and I went to lunch, and I was riding my motorcycle, and this lady pulled up next to me on, in her car. And I wasn't wearing a helmet at the time. And she just began to rebuke me for not wearing a helmet. My heart was already so crushed from everything that I was dealing with that the last thing that I needed to do was be corrected by somebody. The, the topic was legitimate, and I, I can agree with that. But she had no context of where I was coming from. And so do you think I received that word of correction? Not at all. All that did was add more weight to the things that I was dealing with. And so that's what I'm saying. When we take the time to see the context and we speak with the love of Christ, guess what? We become a person that's commendable. Our conduct becomes noteworthy. We become a virtuous, respectable reputation that people are saying, you know what, I don't know what it is, but you need to talk to that person. They've got some great things to say. And maybe you don't have the greatest of wisdom, but even in the manner that you deal with them can can make it all very, very different. Okay, so the last two are these. If there is any excellence... Now, the best way to understand this word excellence is from the, um, the book of 2 Peter, verses 1, 1, 5. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Now, virtue and excellence are basically a synonymous word here. And virtue with knowledge. And so basically what this is saying is that, once again, as we're dealing with the life issues We now, as believers, have the opportunity to take our faith and we, through our actions, we can now build and we can now measure how gracious we are. God is always going to put us in situations where he's going to go, you know what, you don't have a lot of gratitude in your life. And, oh, okay, God. So we we can now even begin to measure, okay, God, I'm going to be thankful for this little bit that I do have. He's like, man, that's a great start. And then he gives you a little bit more. Oh, man, God, this is amazing. I'm going to be even more gracious for this that I do have. And so that's what he's basically saying here. As we make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, 
We're now, we're now not just responding to the world. And for most of us, because of the busyness, what do we do? We're on autopilot. We just respond. We don't actually put a lot of purposed thought into our responses. And God is saying, take a step back. Allow the Holy Spirit to buffer you from whatever it is that's going on so that then you can respond, not out of the flesh, but out of the Spirit and out of the wonderful virtues that God is building. Gratitude, faith, thankfulness, mercy, all of those things. And if there is anything that is worthy of praise, and basically this being worthy of praise is just a building upon that that previous one of excellence. You see, the source of this praise is our practicing faith, growing into knowledge as we embrace life's struggles in Christ until they bear fruit of godly character. That's the end goal, is the signs of salvation in our life aren't one or two good acts that we do, and they're like, oh yeah, I remember back on July 7th, they did this really good thing. They did about 800 really bad things, but I remember that one good thing that they did. We don't want to just be having those signs of salvation that are intermittent. We want to have a godly character that is evident for all to see. Now, as we conclude, I want us to actually go back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, and this is the verse that's right before our thought verses, and it says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, this verse here is like a protective helmet guarding our mind so that when we purpose all of these thoughts from verse 8, now it has the ability to just kind of stay in there. And what I mean by that is life has kind of a general momentum, wouldn't you say? Once you're kind of in a certain groove, you just kind of stay in that groove until something kind of bumps you out of that groove. And so... If you're in a good groove, maintain that good groove. And that's what I'm saying. As you begin to sow these, these thoughts that we've just talked about, you place that helmet of peace on, and now that peace that surpasses our understanding, God's going to say, let's just keep that same momentum going. And now you have that ability to check what's outside of those kind of thoughts. And guess what? Instead of them penetrating in, they're going to bounce off that helmet because you have that helmet of peace that's now guarding. It's like an extra layer that God is saying, I'm going to help to keep you on this course. Because what happens when we're on the course of wickedness, after a certain point, God says, you know what? I'm going to give you a lot of crossroads, but you're going to come to a place where that road is just going to continue unabated, with no crossroads, I'm going to give you over to those very appetites because you've calloused in your own heart any kind of openness to receiving my words of correction. When God corrects us, it's not because he doesn't love us. It's because it's the Father's correction that says, I see what's up ahead. I don't want you to get into those kind of dangerous situations. Go this way and you'll be able to make sure that you, go, that you don't go down that road. So life has a general momentum that is fueled by our thoughts that then turns into actions, habits, character, and a destiny. And the only real question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is our destination? Is it salvation or is it hell? Are we going to be judged according to our deeds to ascribe the kinds of rewards that we'll be receiving in heaven because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Or are we going to literally stand alone with our deeds before God? And he goes, I'm going to, we're going to go 
point by point over all of these, and none of them will benefit you. All of those good things that you thought were going to help you in this moment are of no account. But all of those other things that were wicked, that were evil, that were destructive, they're going to bear weight in the degrees of punishment that you will, that you will receive for all of eternity as you are separated from God. So as we conclude, I'd like to invite our prayer team to come up. And I basically have two questions. Are we sowing actions to our chosen destiny? If not, and I really want you to look at that, are nine out of your ten thoughts taking you to the destiny that you want, or are they taking you somewhere else? Because don't be fooled. The very thoughts that we focus on are going to come out in how we live our lives. And the second question is, are you saved? If you're not, I invite you to come up here and go through that three-point checklist with the folks here, and they'll pray with you. And so let's go ahead and end in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, that you care so much about us, that you want us to, in our very seeds of our thought life, you want us to be able to know that we won't even have to worry about our actions because once our, our thoughts our godly thoughts and our just thoughts and pure and honorable, Father God, they're going to um, yield wonderful fruit, Father God. Virtues that will grow, that will bless others. That truly is, we want to be used by you, Father God. We want to have kingdom um, effectiveness, Lord God, while we are living this life. And Lord Jesus, we don't have to live under the heavy um, burden that the world says um, is where we're supposed to maintain. But Father God, we have the ability, through your Holy Spirit's guiding us, to obtain that destiny that you have ordained for each and every one of us. Lord God, we give you glory. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com. To see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content, please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.